In the name of the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Please be seated. Well, I am one who believes that naming has power. Power and blessing can be spoken into a life when you actually give someone a name. And in some instances, those who are given that name actually do live into what their name means. For instance, and I've shared this story many times, my oldest son, his name is Luke. He is the definition of all light and all energy, and he talks from the time he wakes up until he goes to bed. And every minute in between, his name means light and energy, and he certainly lives in his name. So my second son, his name is Noah. To counterbalance all the light and energy of Luke, Noah was given his name, which means peace and rest. Noah is a gentle soul. Noah does not talk nonstop. Noah is content. So this leaves my third. Andrew is his name. Andrew means manly, courageous, warrior. Andrew is fiercely unafraid of most things. Like I tell those people, he's going to be the end of me. My boys at least live into their names. It is interesting that the power of naming presents itself actually in today's gospel. Not sure if you guys know this. I didn't realize this. But in Luke's gospel, he records 40 of Jesus' parables. 40 of them. The parable of the rich man and Lazarus is only found in the Gospel of Luke. And it is the only parable of all the parables that Jesus told in which a character is given a name. Knowing this, I began to wonder why why was this man the only man given a name by Jesus in all of the parables he told? And in an interesting role reversal, remember the Gospel of Luke is all about role reversals and turning the world inside out and upside down. But it's very interesting, the one that you would think would be given a name, the rich man, is not. Instead, it's the poorest man, Lazarus, who is given the name. This Lazarus, not to be confused with Mary and Martha's brother, who in the Gospel of John is raised to life, this is a different Lazarus. This Lazarus is known as the man who sits at the rich man's gates, so poor and so sick, that the only ones who pay him any attention are the dogs. And guess what these dogs do? They, they bother him. 
They lick his sores. He's oozing. And what's interesting, it is the dogs who at that particular time are believed to have healing properties from their saliva. So in another role reversal, it is actually the dogs and their saliva who are keeping this man, this poorest man, as healed and as healthy as can be. Can you imagine? What's interesting is that the only ones paying this poor man any attention are not the people who are walking by, and certainly not the rich man, but it is the dogs. Only, only they were the ones who were keeping company with Lazarus. So when Jesus names this man, calls him out, Lazarus, it's just not any name without me. Lazarus means God has helped. It is a powerful indicator, a powerful foreshadowing of what will come in the story as it keeps moving forward. This is a man who's not been forgotten by God. This is a man, by his given name, that he will be helped. So if this teaching, if this parable seems a bit eccentric, it really is. No other parable talks about people in the afterlife having a conversation and experiencing what Luke's gospel is all about, the ultimate role reversal. Remember, this eccentric teaching is a parable. And remember, a parable is a short story that's told to give us a glimpse, often a surprising glimpse, into the radical nature of the kingdom of God. Oftentimes, they don't make sense. But the purpose of a parable is not to give a complete theological teaching or to address ultimate questions once and for all. That is not what a parable is for. These teachings are instead a way to see pieces of the kingdom logic that Jesus speaks about. And what we often share is that God is a God who surprises and often shocks. A God who turns things upside down and inside out. We are in the Gospel of Luke, and Luke has favorable eyes on those who are poor, on those who are downtrodden. We know this from the very start of this Gospel. When Jesus goes to the synagogue, raises the scroll, in Luke 4, it says these words, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to poor. Freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set those who are oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Our parable today is not a story to condemn those who have wealth. That is not the purpose. 
For Jesus' wealth is measured not by the size of one's financial portfolio or how big the gates to your house are, but by wearing the finest of clothing. Instead, it's measured by how well one uses whatever large or small you or I have. That's what wealth is for Jesus. And in no way is Jesus saying that being wealthy is bad. Indeed, God is the embodiment of all things rich, the creator and sustainer of wealth and rich. Wealth and abundance is God's natural state. In him, there is never lack. There is never just enough. In him, there is always abundance and overflow. And what does not come from God is the temptation to keep. Keep it all for yourself. To hold back. To enjoy his wealth apart from anything or anyone else. So to live as we were made to live, we gather, we build, we do all of these good things in order to share our overflow. Offering the very best as we have been offered by God. This is a skill. It is a skill of abundance, and as St. Paul reminds us, in order to see life deeper, to live deeper, taking care of those that we love and should love as Jesus did. We call this discipleship, among other things which is sustained by one of my most favorite things, the economy of God. The economy of God, it teaches us that to be in the flow of God's gifting, we must not stagnate this flow by being stingy or anxious about our various currencies, just time, money, and talents. We have to take part. And as we participate in keeping the flow of God's goodness going, we are energy and acting like the great giver, God himself. If we choose to not partake and instead we ignore and indulge only ourselves, we clog the system up. We stagnate the gift. And in essence, we get in the way of the work of God. Well, this is on full display every single week at Grace in our in-house food pantry. The only rule I ask our food pantry is that it doesn't become a storehouse. We're not going to store up treasures. This is a place in which things are not on display so that others see what we have. Rather, it is a place in which things are taken in and given away. Our general rule is that as quickly as something comes in, we get it out, just as quickly. For a number of reasons. Firstly, we know that the need is so great. Why would we store something if we know there are those who can use it? And I think it's also really important practice, to live into the economy of God, 
We have faith, and we believe that there will always be more. And without fail, more always comes in, which is then given away. And it becomes this ever-flowing cycle of goodness and abundance. It is breathtaking to see. It is unbelievable to watch this cycle happen, play out over and over and over. It never stops. And if you're curious about it, and perhaps you've never seen what this economy is like in the life of the church, come and spend a day in the office and watch it play out. It's remarkable. So the opposite of that, or the alternative, is that we can choose to hunker down and hoard our currencies, which the Bible says foments and grows alienation and then eventually death. However, if we live into the flow of God's gifting, it truly is life giving. In other words, if everyone is giving, then everyone is taken care of. And the wonderful paradox of life is that it is gained and experienced more deeply by giving it away. Jesus did. Dear God, this church has been given a name just like you have. Grace. I tell people all the time, I was sent to a church named Grace to learn how to receive it and to learn how to give it away. take part in the most generous and abundant economy there is. God's economy. And over the next month, we will learn more of the ways that grace will engage this economy by inviting our neighbors, actually the entire community of Alvin, onto our campus for our community where we will see the abundance of God strewn in our yard in a sea of orange pumpkins. We'll have the opportunity to extend hospitality and grace to our beloved community. This is an absolute privilege that God has invited us into. And I would say again, the ways of living into abundance are countless. It's never about amounts. It's always about seeing a need and helping to meet it. It means, as Mary Oliver says, paying attention, being astonished, and then telling others about it, inviting people in. As Luke urges us in his gospel again and again, if you read it, you will see these patterns emerge. There are those who have need, who are forgotten. And those are the people who arrive on our campus. They arrive at a church named Grace. It is a beacon in our community. Our currency must be kindness because our economy is that God's. 
is not of the world. That is good news to say. In the name of the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.